Hey guys, you're listening to a message from Pastor Jeremy called Free Child right here on the Engage Network. It's good to be here with you. I got to jump over from Stony Plain to come be with you now, and uh, Pastor Brett is preaching at another church today, and don't worry, we told them that they can't hire him. Uh, (laughs) I'm just kidding. Uh, We shouldn't joke like that. It's okay. So how's everyone doing? It's like, well, how many people find the weekend after the long weekend? You're like, I did so much on the long weekend. I'm bag tired this weekend. It's just kind of (laughs) like, why'd you cut your grass? Oh, man. I taught my 8 and 10-year-old how to cut grass yesterday because I said, I refuse to do this for much longer, and uh, you boys are going to learn. And so that's what I did yesterday. Well, it's good to be with you. We're going to continue on in our series, Child of God. And uh, Pastor Brett started this a few weeks ago. Pastor Seb spoke uh, in the earlier two services and last week at Stony, and now you're stuck with me. But we're going to continue on, and it's an amazing concept to try and think of yourself as a child of God because kids don't typically think too much about who their parents are until they get older. It just kind of is what it is and, and it happens and you don't even understand the benefits. But as you grow in your relationship with Jesus and we start to unpack this, um, it becomes very evident about how good our God is and what he wants to do in our lives. So I want to start with this scripture in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 and 5 it says even before he made the world God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ and this is the part that gets me about this scripture it says this it says this is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure it doesn't say this is what he had to do this is doesn't say he did what he should do because we were screwing everything up. It says, no, no, no. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure to do this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning that your word's powerful. It's alive. It's living. It's active. And God, I pray that it teaches us something about who we are in you this morning. We thank you that the Raptors are going to the NBA Finals in Jesus' name. Amen. My boys. No. My boys are like, I wanted Giannis to go. They're like, I'm going to cheer for Golden State. And I'm like, well, I made it. I told the boys this morning I made a deal with them. I'm like, look, Golden State wins. I'll buy you a basketball net, put it up at the new house. If the Raptors win, no TV or electronics all summer. (laughs) And they're like, fine, deal, because they think that the Warriors are like a lock. And what they don't know is I think we're just going to cut our cable for the summer anyways, and they're going to be hooped either way. So <laughs> I have the power to do that because I pay that bill. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, fathers do funny things for their kids that actually they say, oh, I'm doing this for me, or kids, we should do this for me, but really you know it's for the kids. And uh, I think uh, one of the things I've learned as I get a little bit older, uh, when I was younger, I was a really young dad. I was 23 when my daughter was born, 
and now she's in junior high, and though I did youth ministry for 15 years, I want to light myself on fire, because I can help other people with their junior high kids. My own, I'm like, oh, Lord Jesus, I need prayers and anointing. I need grandmas to pray hedges of protection, and I need guns and things to keep boys away from my daughter. No, you know, it, 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 it's, but fathers, we, we do funny things for our kids. You know, what I do with my kids sometimes is I tell them, I don't want you to buy me gifts, guys. I want to do something with you. And this is for a couple reasons. Number one is this, because usually the gifts that they get me stink and I don't want to wear them. And that's so selfish, but it's like, I don't want to wear that ugly Father's Day tie. I used to, where I worked, we had to wear a suit and tie every Sunday morning while we preached. And one of my youth leaders at one point thought this would be hilarious. And they bought this big old white silk Donald Trump type tie. And they, they got fabric paint and told my kids, we're going to make your dad a Father's Day present. And he's going to love it. And he's going to wear it next time he preaches. And you tell a four, a six, and a two-year-old this, well, guess what? They're, they're so excited. And, Dad, we made you this. And I looked at this thing, and it's got like a deformed basketball with neon orange and a flower. And my daughter's like, Sienna loves Daddy. And, like, all across. And I'm like, and they're like, and, and, and they're like, and, and I won't say the person's name, but said that you would wear it next time you preach. And I'm like, right on. And you know what I did? I waited for a morning where my wife says, oh, all the kids have had colds. I think I should keep them out of kids this morning. We're going to stay home. So I went and I grabbed that tie and put it on. I said, bye, kids. I'm wearing the tie you got me. Got in the car, switched it, went to church. I am not a perfect father. But I also do things with my kids where I'm like, kids, for Father's Day, I want to go to a movie with you. Like, I, I, I do things like that because I want to enjoy experiences with them. I also want them to quit fighting for two hours and not talk and put popcorn in their mouths. But, you know, I like those experiences with them. And when I was younger and uh, in my early 20s, uh, being a dad from, you know, 23 to 30, uh, when my kids were all really little, sometimes I, I look back now and I feel like I did miss out on some of the the joys and the pleasures of just watching them grow as kids. And uh, once I hit my 30s, I started realizing how much joy I found in things like uh, going to my kids' soccer games and just putting my phone away and not answering anything and for an hour watching horrible soccer but seeing how excited my boys were and just, you know, just finding joy in that. I, I, I found joy in moments where we take my daughter, who talks more than me, and I talk a lot, and take her to Starbucks and buy her whatever she wants to drink and look at books, and I let her talk at me for an hour, and I'm exhausted listening by the end, but it's like it brings joy to my heart because she feels like she can tell me things. And, and I begin to think about this, and I, and I told you how me being an imperfect father, because I am, I'm self-centered, I'm selfish at times, I... My wife doesn't even buy me gifts anymore because she says, you probably won't wear half the stuff I get you. And that's why I'm like, well, then buy me a set of golf clubs or a new car or something like that. And she's like, no, I'm, I'm not spending that much money. But I, I wouldn't like the color. She'd pick a story about a car. We were not dating yet, and my wife, we were friends, and it was before we were dating. She's like, 
I could buy this car or this car. And I'm like, buy that car. Well, that one's not brand new. It's used. So she bought a brand new Sunfire. And guess what I drove after we got married until every other vehicle died? And I knew it was happening because like, we were kind of starting to like hang out more. I'm like, I'm going to be stuck driving that ugly silver Sunfire until I had to swallow my pride and drive a minivan. Then I had a minivan and a Sunfire. And so like, I'm just like, you know, I, I just don't care anymore what I drive. <laughs> Hashtag dad life, right? My swagger wagon. And uh, I think about these things that we find joy in as a parent and with our kids. And, and kids, sometimes you're like, oh, my parents come to my games and this and that. Like, do you not realize, like, Yes, they complain about driving the youth and soccer and this and that. But, like, there is. When, when we take moments to sit there, there's, the reason we do those things is because we delight in seeing you experience good things. And I think if God, who is a perfect father, and I'm supposed to be his child, thinks this way about me, it's an incredible thing when we start unpacking this idea of being a child of God. Because sometimes we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a child of God, saved through Jesus. Like, no, 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 like... When we understand that it pleased God to adopt us, it pleased him. He wanted to send Jesus so we could be treated like Jesus. You know, when we start looking at the gospel like that, and we start seeing the reality is is that God had to treat Jesus like we deserve to be treated for our sin. And that's why he went to the cross, and he died, and he bled, and he faced all of that because of what we deserved. And God said, I did all of that because I wanted to treat you like Jesus deserved, like a son, like a daughter, like someone who has inheritance and life and blessing and all of these things. And it says it pleased God to do this. And so the scripture talks about this, and Paul starts unpacking what it means to be a child of God, and he's trying to reinforce this in this book called Galatians. And if you have your Bibles, go to Galatians chapter 4, because we're going to read a passage here. But the book of Galatians, crux is on a really weird issue. The whole book, the church of Galatia is one of the churches that Paul started, and he's writing a letter to them now because many people had got saved. They're told that they're a child of God. He's trying to explain to them what that means. He's talking about your difference between what it means to have a relationship with Jesus versus a relationship with the law because a lot of people came out of a Jewish tradition or faith, and the law that was there, even people that weren't part of the Jewish culture, they knew about the Jewish law and the rules and the regulations and what it meant to serve God. And Paul's saying, no, 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 we're going to get back to Jesus and keep the main thing the main thing. But he says to some of these early churches, you got to be careful because very quickly this need to be better, do better, live right, think that we're going to earn God's favor, it started creeping in. And in Galatians chapter 4, 1 to 11, it says this. It says, think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They have, it, have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. Basic spiritual principles of this world, things such as because of the fall of man, we live under sin, we live under a curse, there's sickness, there's death, there's temptation, there's immoral things. That is part of the principles of this world that we live under. But 
when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. And it says, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And it's interesting to note that it's very hard to be a slave to a law and an adopted child of God at the same time. It's very hard to live as a slave and a son at the same time. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you're no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that do not even exist. So if you're new to church or you don't really understand this, what's this Jew, Gentile, all this stuff? Anybody who was not of the Jewish faith before Jesus came, they were considered Gentiles, Samaritans, heathens, outside. But God made a plan to say, no, 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 my salvation is for all, but that this around this time, it was like, no, as the Jewish people, we are very special, and outside, well, you can, who cares about you? You're not, and they're trying to reconcile this relationship with Jesus, how it's for all people, so now that you know God, or should I say that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? You're trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons or years. And Paul says this. He says, I fear for you, for perhaps all my hard work with you was for nothing. Paul starts talking about these things with this church because he said when we, when we started this church on the basis of people getting saved because Jesus is enough, because through Jesus you become an heir and a child of God. Through Jesus, by grace, <clears throat> Through faith alone, you become a child of God. Now, all of a sudden, there's these arguments going on about, well, you need to do this, and you need to do that, and you got to bring all these things in, and what about this, and what about that again? And Paul says, I'm afraid for you. I'm afraid that you're going to get so caught up in things that aren't the main thing that you actually start to forget what the main thing is. And then all we do is we go back to a system of religion. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone and you're talking about something, but at some point in the conversation you realize this is not about this. This is really about that. Like it's not about whether or not you cut the lawn on time. It's about I feel not helped in all these areas of life. And so it comes out in that one area. Seb's like preach. No. (laughs) Like talking to your wife, maybe me, it's like, and they're asking about that Pokemon shirt that you have and saying, like, do you really need to wear that when you go out? And you're like, I feel like you're not questioning my T-shirt. I feel like you're questioning my lifestyle choices. <laughs> like, I feel like we're questioning everything. Guys, when you're dating a girl and she starts asking you those little questions, like, well, what about this? What about that? She's not asking you about that. She's asking about, can this man change and can I make something of him, right? Like, it's really about something else. And and in the book of Galatians, we come back to this issue, and we're going to go here today. They're talking about something, but it's really about something else. And the whole book of Galatians is kind of centralized around this one issue, and here's what it is. Circumcision. Yep. That's where we're going today in church. This is what the prevailing argument of Galatians 1 through 5 was about. Circumcision. And even though Paul had been teaching the gospel and the good news and people had come to Jesus by faith in Jesus Christ and his grace and the saving work on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, 
all of a sudden these laws and rules from years before are coming up. Well, do the Gentile believers really, are they really saved if they don't get circumcised? Like seriously, this is the conversation that's going on. And we're like, <clears throat> in 2019, we're like, well, that seems kind of like a ridiculous thing. But you have to remember that even though that was the conversation, Paul's trying to bring the attention back to what is this really about? Because you're all talking about this, but I know it's really about that. And when we start unpacking this, and if you go through the whole book of Galatians, can we go back one slide? Sorry, I'm not there yet in my notes. Thank you. Uh, there was, um, even though the gospel had been preached that it was receiving Jesus through faith, it wasn't too long before the Jewish believers started adding back to the narrative of, well, you're more special as a believer if you're circumcised. You're better as a believer if you do this. If you really want to be a child of God, you have to follow these things and do these things. And Paul's like, wait a minute, this isn't right. And Paul's trying to get down to the heart of what is this really about. And to understand this, we need to step back and understand a few things. Many of the first followers of Jesus were of Jewish descent, and this law of circumcision went all the way back to the Old Testament, to the time when they were in the desert, and it was a symbol of a covenant before God that was one thing, but honestly, in the desert, it was probably a health thing. All those things you read in Deuteronomy, and you read the Bible, and you start reading these verses about skin issues and bodily things and all that like you're like how does that pertain to my life well for them a lot of it pertained to cleanliness and a preservation of his people because when you live in a desert and in the dirt and you don't have access to water and all these things their health was important to God like that's what a lot of this came out of but now years later there was this idea that well maybe because we had to be circumcised uh, the new Gentile believers should have to be circumcised too I always say this and I said it in the last service the scariest verse for men in the Bible Bible is this. Joshua is a new leader, and at a certain point, they had stopped circumcising their sons in the, in the Old Testament. And when Joshua becomes leader, God comes to them and says, Joshua, tell the men of the army to make for yourselves sharp knives and renew your covenant before me. I'd be like, God, I want to serve you. I don't want to tell the whole army that. Guys, we need to renew our covenant. Like, that's a scary thing. And, and the Jewish people and the culture, they start getting in this thing about, yes, we believe that God wants to save people outside of Jewish culture. We believe that God is spreading this to the end of the earth. We believe Jesus is enough for all of them. But it was this whole thing, and it, and it brought this question, well, then what's the rules then? Because we're still trying to follow our tradition, and are we losing our religion? Are we losing our specialness as children of God by letting other people become children of God without doing the same things that we did? And Peter, who had a vision from God about going to the Gentiles, he has this vision of this sheet coming down with all these animals that they weren't supposed to eat because they were unclean, again, for their health in the desert. And Jesus is rise, kill, and eat. And it's this whole symbolic thing about Peter's one of the other disciples that I'm sending you to these Gentile people, these people that do these things that you didn't do as a culture. It's okay. I'm going to save them too. You're going to go to them. So Peter knows this. Paul knows this. And guess what happens in Galatians chapter 2? The very person that Paul has to confront about making circumcision the main thing when Jesus is the main thing is actually Peter. 
because to be liked by the other Jewish disciples and leaders, he had fallen back into this place of, well, yeah, we're a little bit better than them. And Paul is getting so frustrated, so frustrated with this. And there was no question in any of the disciples or the apostles' mind that God wanted to save people by faith through Jesus Christ. But the argument that they always took away from it, and maybe the argument sometimes we take away today when we watch people trying to come into a relationship with Jesus, is this. What really makes you a son or daughter of God? Or what makes you a worthy son or daughter of God? What is it that makes you a wanted son or a daughter? Or what is it that makes you deserving? You see, in our human nature and our humanness, sometimes we can be in church a while and we've started doing things that God's prompted us to do and asked us to do. And we start making things that aren't the main thing the main thing. It's not that they're not important. There are things in your life that Jesus is going to say, you need to start cutting away those things. But then we start telling our non-Christian friends, well, if you would cut this out of your life and that out of your life, then God would receive you. No, no, no. God will receive you, and then Jesus will talk to them about how he wants to unfold that in their life. But it was really, Paul's like, I know you guys are talking about circumcision, but this is really about who's more special. This is really about who has a monopoly on the grace of God. And, and, and Paul gets so frustrated and so angry because we, we, we've done it for centuries and years where we've made things besides Jesus the main thing when Jesus is the main thing. And being a child of God is about getting back to the main thing and understanding who we are in Jesus and allowing him to work in our lives because Paul never, we'll go there in a minute, he never says, stop living morally, stop doing what's right by God. All this. He never says do away with all that, but he says don't make it the main thing. Because you're making it hard for people to come to God. And there was so much focus on circumcision, laws, doing the right thing, and who was better than someone else when it came to the grace of God. Paul gets so fed up, and he writes this scripture that's very weird, and it's a very bold statement for a preacher. And he says this in Galatians chapter 5. I just wish that those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. (laughs) Like... That's like me being like, Pastor Brett, someone criticized our church. Let's write a blog post. I just wish that people who criticize us could just go, no, wait, wait, delete, delete, delete. Like, and Paul is so fed up, and he's writing to the Galatians, and he knows that Peter's going to hear about this. He told them about his confrontation with Peter. <clears throat> He told them in chapter 2 and 3 about what him and the apostles decided. And now he's telling the church at Galatia, you better stop this because this is hurting the spread of the gospel. This is hurting your own relationship with God because you're making things other than the main thing the main thing. And I don't think Paul is talking so much about a physical disfigurement to their body. But I think the heart of Paul was really this. He goes, you know what, I just wish that these people that are causing these issues to become the main thing and trying to tell other people, you need to cut this out of your life and you need to cut that out of your life and you need to cut that out of your life because then you can be a child of God and then you'll be worthy and then you'll be deserving. He says, I just wish that they would look at themselves and say, God, what are you trying to cut out of my life? He says, I wish they would just put the focus back on 
Jesus, what do I need to work on with me? Because we do this, and they were doing this. We get so focused on what qualifies someone else because it makes us feel better about ourselves. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. We start with the circumcision of our own hearts so we can lead people to Jesus and what he wants to do in their lives. And, and so Paul is so tired of these arguments because they were and they still do lead so many of us away from the purpose of God and the life that he intended us for a child of God. Because Paul knew this. Paul knew that if, it, if we were called to be a son or daughter, a child of God, we were called to live in freedom. Freedom was what this was about. And all of a sudden, the Jew, Jewish faith and all these things became about, well, what rules should we impose on them? And Paul says, no, no, no. Being a child of God is about coming into freedom, forgiveness of sins, moving forward in your relationship with God, free to live differently, not forced to live differently. Because God does that work. And, and, and so when Paul starts talking to Peter and the other apostles, this is where I want you to understand that freedom by our own definition doesn't mean free to do whatever we want. Because even John, the brother of Jesus, who was the, church, uh, the lead pastor of the church at Jerusalem, he said, when we talked about all these things and we understand, he goes, you're right. We need to lift that expectation off the believers who get saved outside of the Jewish faith. If you want to follow your Jewish custom and tradition and you want to do this and continue on with circumstances, whatever, you can do that. But we don't need to put that as a limitation on new believers. He said, but they should meet together, they should give towards the work of God, and they should keep themselves from sexual immorality. So they didn't say your freedom is so you can do whatever you want. There are still things that hurt your relationships, hurt your life, that God says are going to hurt you in this life, that you need to understand that being a child of God means coming under the protection of God, and that's why in God's house, in his home, there are certain rules and regulations for our benefit that make us free to live outside of consequence, guilt, shame, all of these other things. And so when we look at this, Paul's like, look, I want to get back to the main thing where people understand that a relationship with Jesus is about freedom. And then we begin to understand a few things. We begin to understand, number one this morning, is that we become free to love. Free to love. Galatians 5, 13 to 15 says this, For you have been called to live in freedom, brothers and sisters, but don't, everyone say don't, don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. So he didn't say, oh, you're called by grace to live in freedom. But he, and then right away he says, but don't use it for those sinful things. You know wrong is wrong. You cannot say the grace of God is my license to live however I want. No. He says, you are free as a child of God, but don't use it for that. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. You see, Paul knew this. If we could get past these side things, these things of circumcision and rules and laws, they were dividing people rather than bringing them into an understanding of the freedom and the grace of God and the love of God. And can I tell you something? When you start living free to love other people the way that God loved you, you can love people before they do something for you, before they behave a certain way, before they change the way they talk, the way they look, the way they act. Guess what? We can love people the way that God loved us first, and it actually opens the door for them to receive the spirit of sonship and adoption 
compassion and grace and forgiveness because they will never live free from their sinful nature or all of those things until they understand that as a son or a daughter of God, I can live differently. So we become free to love. Understanding the love of God, which is not based on anything that we have done, gives us a platform to love others whether or not they've done anything for us, against us, or even if they deserve it. So Paul's saying we're now free to love, but free to love one another. Quit biting at and devouring one another. Quit going after that their sin is worse than your sin, and I, at least I'm better than that person, and I'm better Christian. This it's, it's about saying, God, what are you trying to show me and lead me in? And help me love other people so I can help them along. There was a theologian that uh, talked about, there's a scripture where it says, and we use this out of context all the time as Christians, well, why are, you, why are you looking at the speck in my eye when there's a log in your own? And then we just start going head to head. Well, your sin's worse than my sin. And, this and, and one, one writer said this. He said, Lord, help me remove the log in my own eye so I can help others see. Because there is a point and there is a place for saying, hey, brother, sister, this is really hurting you. And I'm not pointing it out to say, you're an awful person, is that? but I've been there. I've had to deal with things too. And I believe God wants you to be free from this. But instead, we, we bite and devour. And we're like, well, they're this and this and that. Well, I'm better than most people. No. And it's like saying, God, how do I deal with the things in my life so I can humbly and out of love be someone who leads other people in what it looks like to live as a child of God? Because there is a role for mentoring and leadership and discipleship. And sometimes coming along someone and saying, hey, you know what? This attitude that you have is really hurting your relationships. And I used to have that. And, and God had to work on me. And, and I'm not better than you. I'm just saying God probably has better for you. And we get, we, we get freed up to start loving other people the way God loves us and walking beside them. But secondly, I believe it. When we're a child of God, we're free to live differently. Have you ever met somebody who they just don't care what other people think? I, I admire those people. I do. Because I'm so uptight and OCD and ridiculous about things. I'm like, I see you wearing Crocs and socks and neon green summer shorts and a Hulk Hogan tank top and, and a Kangol hat. And I'm like, man, you go. Like, you do you. And I was like, they don't care. And I'm like, I can't. You know? It's like, I look at my kids get dressed. And I'm like, you sure you want to leave the house together? They're like, yeah, yeah, I don't care. This is cool, Dad. I'm like, no, it's not. I'm going to go to the grocery store. And other parents are going to be like, what's wrong with him? Can't he dress his kids? Uh, I'm afraid of the judgment of people, right? And, and as believers... We are free to live different. We don't have to live under the expectation of the world, how the world lives. Uh, but even when it comes to our sinful nature, we're free to live different. We don't have to live by the... Uh, but, but the problem is when we look at living different, when we tell someone, well, you just need to live different and then your life will get better. Well, when someone is a slave to something, tell them, we'll make a better decision doesn't really help them. Like telling a drug addict, well, just make better decisions and, and you'll be better. Like, no, like, they're, they're enslaved to it. They're caught in it. It's like telling a three-year-old, like, you know, if you just make good decisions, your life will be better. Well, that doesn't tell a three-year-old nothing. Like, they're a slave to their emotions and what they feel in the moment, stuff like that. So what we have to understand is, outside of God and outside of being a child of God, we're not empowered by the Spirit to live any different than anyone else in the world. 
But because of the Spirit of God, the Bible says this, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, Romans 8, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For you, if you live by its dictates, you will die. But the power of the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, and you will live. For all those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. It says this in Galatians 5, 17, 18. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. And those two forces are constantly fighting each other. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, God. I live in a fallen world with a sinful nature that is always going to have temptations, urges, attitudes, things that I don't want to live with. And I have to learn to live free as a child of God by the Spirit of God. But when I lean into the Spirit of God, my sinful nature tries to pull me into that. So I have to lean more into the Spirit and the power of adoption and that I can live like a son. And I'm like, like, couldn't it have just been like, hey, you get saved, you think different, you live different? It's like, no, it's a process. It's always leaning into the power of being a son or daughter of God. Why? Because we can learn to live how our Father leads us. We change as he leads us one step at a time, not by just making a decision. And so, but when you're directed by the Spirit, it says this, you're under no obligation to the law. And it's by the Spirit of God we're able to live different than anyone around us. Can I just tell you, you'd be a lot less frustrated with your friends and neighbors who don't know Jesus if you just understood that they have no moral compass to let the Spirit of God help them live any differently. <laughs> like, like, why would they do that? It's human nature. Like, you know, like, there are people that make good decisions, but there's still a human element and aspect to it. But the third thing I want to leave you with this morning is this, and this hits pretty close to my heart because I've never really known a time in my life where I've not been in church or around church. And for some of us that have experienced that, this, this one might hit a little closer to home, but I believe one of the things it means to be a child of God is it means that we can be free to live outside of the tyranny of what's fair. Like, I want to learn how to live outside of the tyranny of what's fair. The idea of fair can ruin your life, your emotions, your heart, your attitude. And we'd love to say that, while well, we're in an imperfect world, so sometimes things aren't fair, and they aren't right, and they aren't good, and they're not what we expected, and I understand that. But God is just, and he is good, and that doesn't change. But there will be times in your walk with Jesus as a child of God where sometimes the tyranny of what's fair will try to tell you God didn't do what you wanted him to do, and you never got what you thought you should got. And then you watch someone else come in, and they've lived a wild life, and you've tried to be good for so long, and all of a sudden God starts blessing them, and this is real, and this is honest. And sometimes you're in church your whole life, and you're like, I've served God a long time, and how come I'm not being blessed that way? And I think God wants us to be free from that. And a few weeks ago when Pastor Brett started this series, he talked about a young man named the prodigal son. That's just what he's known as in Scripture. And he took off and 
took all of his inheritance and he lived wild and he spent his money on prostitutes and gambling and drugs and alcohol and partying. And at the end of it, he comes back and yet his father still receives him. But there was, what was lost was lost. There was lost time. There was lost things that he, but God still received him. And, and what some people don't know, and if you've been around church for a while, you've probably heard about this, but there was another brother, an older brother. And, I, and I've looked at this story so many times and I'm like, God, how, how many times in life have I been the older brother? Because I, I've been around this for so long and, and I look at what Paul was dealing with in Galatians chapter 2, 3, 4, and 5 and you have these people who are like, well, we've been with Jesus for three, four years. We started this thing called the church with him so we should know a little bit about this. And then God starts doing something with these Gentile people and, and they're the older brother. And it's like, it's not fair that they don't have to go through what we went through to get to this place in our relationship with God. It's not fair that there's a new understanding right now and God, you're so loving and your grace is so good. And so we come to the story of the prodigal son when he comes back It says, meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. And when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants, what's going on? Your brother is back, he was told. And your father has killed the fatted calf, best steak they had. And we're celebrating because of his safe return. But listen to this. The older brother was angry, and he wouldn't go in. And I'm telling you, when you live under the tyranny of fear, there will be things that God is doing and ways he moves. And our own anger can keep us out of the joy of his presence, the goodness that's already there. And I'm so glad God is like the father in this story. Because the father in this story could have went out to his angry son saying, you're so ungrateful, and you're so entitled, and I can't believe you would be treating someone so, but he doesn't. He goes out, his father came out and begged him, begged him to come in. I believe there are a lot of believers at times in their life where God is begging them to enter into the joy of people getting saved, begging them to enter into the fruitfulness of what he's doing. He's begging them to be a part of what he's doing. And because of our tyranny of fear in our hearts and our mind with our fallen perception of who God is, we start saying, God, I'm angry. And I refuse to be a part of that because I don't like what happened here. And the father came out and he begged him to come in, but the the son replied with this. Listen to these words. All these years I've slaved for you. He was living as a slave inside his father's house. I've slaved for you and you never once refused to do, and, and, and I never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And he says, in all that time, you never gave me what? God, I'm angry. This didn't work out the way I thought it should work out. Why are you being so gracious? Why are you doing this great thing? And God's saying, come, be a part of it. Don't worry about what's fair. Just come be a part of it. Your life's going to be blessed by it. No, no, God, I'm angry because I never got what I wanted when I asked you for it. This situation didn't work out the way I thought it should work out. God, you're not being fair to me. 
And he said this. He said this about his brother. He wouldn't even call him his brother. And he says, yet this son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours, came back after squandering all your money on prostitutes. Celebrate, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. And his father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and he's come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. I really believe that as a people, as a church, as individuals that are called children of God, we have to learn how to escape the tyranny of what's fair because there will be times in our life where, yes, life hurts. Yes, we don't always get things to work out the way that we expected them to work out. Yes, God is gracious to people that didn't deserve it, but if we want to talk about what's fair, what's fair about Jesus going to the cross in your place and my place? What's fair about you getting to live in the Father's house for all of these years safe and secure. I've looked at my own life and there's been days where I'm like, God, other people live their whole lives how they wanted to and they come to you in their 30s and they get saved and you give them something and a ministry blows up and it's like, God, I've served you for so long and what's fair? Why am I where I'm at? And it's like, but what? But God's like, but I've protected you and I've held you and I've loved you and I've been gracious to you and I've never left your side. And the tyranny of fair will always get our eyes off of the goodness and the, the, the things that God has always covered us in. I remember when my wife and I first started doing youth ministry together. 15 years. I pastored young people. And my wife would say to me, she said, Jeremy, I don't understand some of these church kids. They grew up in church they hear about how good God is. They've seen God be faithful in their families. They've seen him do so many things. He goes, and yet, they're so sneaky and conniving, and they hide all the sinful things that they want to do. You know what this brother is probably thinking? Maybe I should have partied a little bit more. Maybe I should have got mine when I had time, if you're just going to be gracious like this anyways, God. And she's just, how, how do some of these kids, they're so callous to how good God has been and what he's kept them from. I'm like, I, I never thought of it that way. It's, it just becomes so accustomed to us. I was that kid. And I just said, you know, I began to realize as I would talk to my wife about these things, she says, do you know that when I got saved at 18 years old and it took a year for me to finally get some of these things, and when Jesus truly changed me, how much I wished for those years back? You don't think the prodigal son wished for those years and those moments and that time back? That was lost. But here we can be on the other side. And sometimes as the older brother, or we're, when we live under the tyranny of fair, we're like, we miss how good God has been. Church, God has made us free to love other people unconditionally. He's, he's made us free to live outside of the bondage of sin and temptation because his spirit lives within us. But guess what? He's good. And he does good. And he's going to start bringing people in. We're not going to understand, but we have to get beyond the tyranny of fear and say, God, I thank you for your goodness. I'm grateful for your house. I'm grateful for your covering in my life because this is how we live free. None of us need to live as slaves inside the Father's house.
because I'm a child of God. You're a child of God. And he lovingly takes care of his children.